Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Do you have your Bibles today? Say yeah. We're going to continue our series in Galatians. And before we do, I, want to, I just want to read something real quick. Fellas, I hope you'll join me in this. We discovered something up on the mountain that men of God like to have a little bit of uh, fire in their belly. What I found is that men that truly love Jesus are a little bit like warriors for Jesus. The men that get serious about God really love to take territory for God and they don't seem to be afraid of anything that the enemy throws at them. And so on the mountain, we found that we discovered, we found up there, we found, we discovered, we found that we had a battle cry. I want to read something for you real quick. It's Psalm 150 and it reads like this, praise the Lord. It says, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Amen? Oh, I hope you're catching this here today because we're trying to set a little bit of a tone. We're trying to change an atmosphere. We're trying to push out a devil or two. We're trying to cancel all the assignments that are on your life. It says, praise him with the trumpet sound. It says, praise him with the lute and the harp. It says, praise him with the tambourine. And yes, fellas, even the dance in this place. It says, praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. It says, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. It says, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Somebody give him a shout of praise today. Now here's the deal. You've never been to a church that yells this much. I know. But there is something that happens when the people of God, specifically led by the men of God, get serious about the presence of God and shout with a loud shout to our God, amen? So, if you came here today, and it's your first time, I love you and I'm glad that you're here. If you were hoping it would be quiet, it will not be. And that's good, do you know why? Because heaven is loud. And we aim to bring heaven down here, right? We say, in heaven, on Colfax, as it is in heaven, amen? Amen. Fellas, thank you so much. We're going to try to do this every Sunday until everybody in the room gets it. And I say, open up Psalm 150 and the whole place goes wild. I just believe if we keep doing this, we're going to set some culture on this street and even the shop right next to us. I'd say, just open Psalm 150 and every demon would run and every person would shout. I'd say, open 150 and that shop that sells crystals down the street would fold and Jesus would be here on the, I don't know about you, but I feel Jesus today. Presbyterians are closing their Bibles and <laughs> Amen. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter one. We're going to continue this series studying Paul's letter to the church in Galatea. The churches primarily that we believe to be on the southern coast of the country. Churches that Paul planted whom he loves and he writes them a letter to correct them because he loves them. Galatians chapter one. We're going to read verses six through ten today. Galatians one. 6 and 10, part two of our series called Maturing Faith. And it reads like this. I am astonished 
that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and that you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And then as though Paul needed to put an exclamation point on the end of this conversation, he said, for now am I seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I might add on the end, Selah. The title of our message today is A Different Gospel. A Different Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. You are good and holy and righteous. We open our hearts to you to receive. Today's word will challenge us in many ways and cause us to be uncomfortable. God, soften our hearts so that we might receive it with conviction to change. Open our minds that we might be renewed for transformation. Open our eyes, our eyes that we might see you through everything else that's trying to take our attention. In Jesus' name, amen. Big idea for our message today. If you're taking notes and if you have your workbooks, the big idea today, if you don't have a workbook, by the way, we're studying the book of Galatians at the Bible Bar. There is a workbook that has all of our messages for this entire series, including places you can take notes and small group questions for our fires group throughout the week. But the big idea for our message today is this. You ready? We can believe in an absolute truth because we follow the absolute God. I think that's important for us to say we can believe in an absolute truth. What do you mean by absolute truth? I mean to tell you there is no such thing as your truth or my truth. By its very nature, truth is either true or it is not. Amen. Truth, the word itself means truth. It doesn't mean a variation on the story. Amen. So when someone says you're a Christian and I'm not, you live your truth and I'll live mine. I hate to break it to you, but you're living the truth and they're living a fallacy. There is no such thing as variations on the truth. And the good news for us is that we can believe in an absolute truth. Do you know why? Because our God is the absolute God, the only God. There is no one like him. Amen. Now, for a minute, let's just level with each other. This gospel conversation that we're going to have is a lot like uh, making food in a kitchen. We have a beautiful multicultural church. Amen. One of my favorite parts about being in a multicultural church is I get access to all of your foods. People are like, why do you do so many church events at your house? I'm like, because I ask them to bring dinner. And we get so many beautiful dishes from all different cultures and walks of life. And one of the things that I've discovered is a good recipe that's been handed, handed down from generation to generation, like a really good recipe. Rarely, if ever, I might even just say, never needs anything added. Amen? One of our families will walk in, you'll know kind of what I'm talking about if you're from this culture, but some of our families, they'll come to our home with a dish that they made and they'll say, I put my foot in this one. And I know that means it's good. If you're not from that culture, you're like, that's disgusting. No, 
Trust me. <laughs> if they tell you they put their actual foot in it, it's good. And what they're saying is this recipe, it's tried and tested, it's true. You shouldn't add anything. And they mean that. They're going to cut you a slice of whatever that is. They're going to put it on your plate. And you will not need to add salt or pepper or anything. It is chef's kiss perfect. Good recipes don't need anything added. And a note to my melanin-challenged families like myself, we don't need to add raisins to any more things anymore. <laughs> Amen. I don't know what you're making for the game today, but take the raisins out, sister. Because you don't need to add anything to a good recipe. On the other side is a good recipe, doesn't need anything taken out. So if it says handful of cumin, just grab a handful of cumin and throw it in there. You don't need to know exactly how it goes in and you most assuredly don't need to subtract some things that you don't like. It says nine sticks of butter, baby, put nine sticks of butter in there. Do not put coconut oil or avocado oil or grapeseed oil or whatever kind of weird oil you're putting in. Put butter in there. Amen. Amen. Nothing added. Nothing subtracted. I hope you can hear me preaching already. The gospel is like a good recipe. Tried and true. Perfect, exactly as it's made. Nothing added. Nothing subtracted. Do you know why? Because the gospel is the eternal word of God. And it never changes. Amen? The gospel never changes. And that is why the gospel has so many people trying to change it all the time. Because the truth of the matter is, is that our word, this word, is the only word that has power in it. And everyone who has to reconcile their life with the words on these pages will be challenged by what God says. And our human nature is to add and or subtract to suit our whims. Amen? We're like, I, I do love the fruits of the spirit page. That part's good. Or I'll, I'll meet guys all the time and they're like, Pastor, you know that proverb where it says it's better for a guy to not live with a woman if his woman is cranky? Do you know that, Pastor? I'm like, Yes, I know that one. I love that verse, Pastor. Great. Most of us love some parts and really struggle with others, amen? I mean, let's be really honest. There's some stuff in this text that is meant to change you. Change is hard. And so when you read it, it kind of hurts. And our desire, our flesh, our tendency, our nature is to create a different gospel sometimes. You hear people in churches all the time reading from the parts that they like, skipping over the others, or trying to find a way to make the sentence change. Well, I know that it says this, but what it really means is. Have you ever heard that? It says this, but it really, as though they have special revelation. I want to warn you real quick. If you meet somebody who says, it says A, but it means B, you need to back away and see your way out of that church. I just wrote that joke on the fly, Robbie. That was sick. Here's the deal. Everything in here is meant to be in here. It's on purpose. It's the truth, plain and simple. It doesn't change. But it's meant to change you. And human tendency is to change it. We try to add things. We would call those diversions, little things that get us off track or little, little, little 
distractions, little additions, little flares, little touches. And the truth of the matter is when Paul writes about that, he doesn't call them diversions. He calls them distortions. He says, I am shocked, church, that I just preached to you the true and living word. I turn my back, but for a moment and turn back to you and you've turned away from the gospel and are now being convinced of what he determines to be distortions to the gospel. Hear me, there are no variations to the gospel. It's either the gospel or it's a distortion. And distortion leads to death. If you write nothing else, write this. Distortions to the gospel will lead to death. You said, pastor, I love it. So true. I can write that. No distorting the text. What it says, it says. Perfect. And what Paul's writing about in this moment to this church and this conversation is he's writing to a church that he planted whom he loves about a new teaching that has begun to creep in. He's writing, we're going to talk about this over the next 16 weeks in greater detail, but in a high level so that you're reminded, he's writing to combat false teaching from a group of believers called Judaizers. They are essentially teaching this, the gospel of Jesus, yes, and circumcision. And all the fellows in the room are like, well, I could reject that, no problem. <laughs> Except that the way in which they're teaching this is essentially Jesus is really good, but in order to inherit that which Jesus is affording, you must be like the people of Jesus so that you can get the fullness of Jesus. Now taught through that lens, it becomes far more appealing, amen? Because most distortions of the gospel rarely come in as destruction. They come in as delightfully beautiful additions. You say, why does this matter to me? There are no Judaizers in this church. There are distortions though. Uh, how do I do this? I shared some of this with our men because I needed them to pray for me. All right, here's the deal. Everybody in the room, I want you to take your hand of strength, whichever one it is, right or left, I want you to put it right on your heart. And I want you to mean this today. Don't just, don't just follow the thing and just pretend what I'm saying. I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want you to re repeat after me. Ready? This will be hard. It will be truth. It will challenge me. God, I receive. Change me. Amen. Right now, we're going to talk about the most pervasive distortions in the modern American church, okay? I got a list for you. I'm going to read you a list. I'm going to share with you some statistics. By the time I get done with that, you're going to be so offended. The Lord has got to change your heart or you will change your seat in Jesus' name. Here's the deal. In this church right now, the data tells us that many of you absolutely love Jesus and you've added something to your faith. Pew Research did a study several years ago that looked very closely at the belief system, literally the stated beliefs of people who are professing Christians and the stated beliefs of people who are non-professing Christians. And they determined this beautiful panoply of concepts that many people believed in. And I wanna share those with you today. Here are a list of some of the most common spiritual practices that Christians believe in right now. Ready? It goes like this. Crystals, tarot cards, prayer beads, horoscopes, psychics, mediums, 
burning sage, sending good vibes, manifesting the universe, self-empowerment, self-help, vision boarding, chanting, I know I'm coming for you, channeling, chakras, energy in static objects, opening your third eye, the law of attraction, the secret, ready, the Enneagram, numerology, dream catchers, feng shui, hypnosis, mercury retrograde, (laughs) sacred geometry, spirit animals, Reiki, rolfing, sweat lodges, and you're gonna hate me for this one, yoga. I told you this would be hard. Ready? Here's the statistics. 26% of professing Christians believe and also practice in astrology and horoscopes. They are Team Jesus and Scorpios are just different. 26%. That means one quarter of this room is reading their horoscope on an ongoing basis and believing that the words in that are equal to the words in See, when we put it in those terms, it changes your mind a little bit. 29% of professing believers, those who say Jesus paid it all, also believe in reincarnation and karma. (laughs) Ow. It goes up. 37% of Christians who say Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all I need also believe that physical objects have spiritual energy that can be harnessed for their good. And 40% of Christians who know that they can talk directly to God through the power of prayer believe they should also talk to psychics and mediums for information. 40%. So those of you who are like, my, 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 are mindful that the person next to you is like, oh, geez, Louise. (laughs) This is what the data suggests. Now, why does this matter? Let me, let me explain something to you really good so that I'll put this right home for you, okay? Here's the deal. 61% of all professing Christians in the United States, 61% believe in one of these as a powerful spiritual practice to hold alongside the gospel. That's more than half the room. But here's the hardest part. 62% of non-believers believe in one of these, which means the church is no different than the world. We are literally, statistically speaking, the exact same in what we believe. The difference is not what they believe, it's what we added to what we all collectively believe. Modern Christians today are not beholden by the word of God. We've seasoned the dish of spirituality with a little bit of Jesus, probably just to play it safe. That's what the data would show. And you said, pastor, I've already rejected everything you said because I love vision boards. I hear you. I like doing vision boards too. Here's the difference, because I'm going to touch on a few of these so you don't get so mad that you missed this. Ready? Vision boards are a beautiful, fun, inspiring way to let your creative juices go so that you might set goals and see where the world takes you. Yes? 
But when used as a roadmap upon which you build your life, practice, devotion, and discipline, it is a spiritual practice that gets in the way of this roadmap that might direct your life. Amen? You say, what about yoga? I love yoga. I like yoga too. It's the hardest workout there is. I will never do it again. One time, one time, you do that dragon thing, fall on your nose, it's over. And yoga is a really good physical practice, but you should understand that yoga was birthed out of a spiritual practice. And most of those poses are named after Hindu deities. And the poses upon which we practice are meant to be poses of submission originally to those Hindu deities. You think it's a workout, they think it's a spiritual practice. Do you know what each name means? Because if you don't, you might be praying to a God that's not real. Couple more, okay? The Enneagram. Now I've said this a million times, but you better stop reading Christian horoscopes and call it the gospel. Those numbers don't define you. Horoscopes don't define you. Feng shui, setting your couch up in a certain direction will not bring in good spirits. Come on. Either the devil's walking in or he's not and the only one that can kick him out is the name of Jesus and that's it. And the same is true with burning sage. If you think you need to walk into this room and bring some smoke in for some good juju, what you're really saying is this, Jesus is awesome, I love him, he's great, but he actually is not very good at casting out spirits. So I burn sage because he needs my help. That's what most of this means. Good vibes. Good vibes comes from the concept of the world is full of vibrations and some vibrations are positive and some are negative. As though listening to certain frequencies will change your eternal direction. Now, it sounds rad because if you like EDM, you get into one of those and you're like, yeah, man, but I'm gonna tell you right now, EDM and vibrations and manifesting in the earth and numerology and hypnosis and sacred geometry and the universe and all of these things that says good things, they seem benign, they don't seem like that big of a deal. Here's why they're a big deal. Are you ready? This is why this matters, church. Because not one of these things matches what the gospel says. Every one of these things supposes the following. An outside force can change what's inside me. Hear me. If I get the right rose quartz, it can shift my mood. As long as mercury is in the right place, I'm going to have a good day. As long as these outside things work in my favor, then the inside of me will be good. Amen? But here's what the problem with that is. It teaches no repentance, no contrition, no submission, no surrender, no transformation, no trust, no obedience. Nothing in any one of these practices tells you the truth about you, which is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is one who because of his great love and because of his great mercy made a way for you and me today. Everything that this stuff teaches that doesn't seem like a big deal. And make no mistake, it's meant to feel like not a big deal actually detracts from the message of the gospel. See, where they say outside in, the gospel says inside out. 
Oh, see, I wish you could get this because this is where we kind of miss the power of the gospel in our own lives. We believe many of these things that says, if there's cool, good things, if everything's aligned, if the universe is in my favor, then things will work within me. And Jesus says, I came to work within you, ready? So that everything outside of you would be working. He said, I work all things together for the good of those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. That's the difference. When you practice these things, you trust outside you to change you. And the gospel says, I change you from the inside out. And make no mistake, the gospel is a hard word. That's why these easy things fit, because they feel easier to do. Because the gospel teaches a hard thing. The gospel teaches repent. You're lost in your sin. Your environment is not bad because of bad vibes. Your situation isn't rough because the universe has conspired against you. This is a fallen world and you are lost and doomed in your sin. And the gospel says, repent and believe. Surrender and submit. Throw your hands up and say, I give up, you win, take over, and let the Lord do everything else. Only thing you need to do is say yes, especially when it's hard. Amen? Are you still with me? You're going to leave this today. You're going to be emptying out drawers and throwing away tarot cards and... And, and hear me, you should, you should. Let's do this practically speaking. Anything that is not written about in this text, anything that you practice, that you believe, that doesn't align with every single word that is in this, it is not benign, it's cancer, it's gonna kill you. It is absolutely from the enemy designed to distort the gospel so you die in your sin. Amen. And this is an illustration we did real quick today. Uh, the fun thing that I think might hit it at home for you today. The gospel never changes because the gospel doesn't need changing. And I want you to think about it like this. Jesus is, is super sweet and gentle and always present for those whom want him to be present. Amen? And when we practice a lot of these things, whether we believe it or not, what we are essentially telling Jesus is, I really love you but there's some things you can't provide for me. I mean, you're awesome at the whole sin thing. But when it comes to like really, you know, totally finding myself, well, you're just not good at it. Because when we add in any number one of these practices, we're telling God he's insufficient. I wanna put this home for you for just a second. Uh, ladies. You fall in love with a man, fellas, pay attention, and he is perfect, wonderful. You met him, and he was exactly what you were hoping for. I don't know what your image is, but he is flawless, and you love him, and the two of you have a whirlwind romance, and the way he proposed was storybook. <laughs> and he captured your heart. And on your wedding day, as you walked down the, alt down the, the aisle to the altar, and he was weeping to see you come to him. You arrived at the altar and you said to him, I love you. You're everything I ever wanted. 
And I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to bring... I want to bring a boyfriend into this. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're perfect. You're so gentle and you're so sweet. But I think it would be really good for me if I had you and I had him. Now, fellas, give me your reaction. What? Took this stupid bow tie off. Reaction from every man in the room is what? No, absolutely not. You just said I was perfect. I was your all in all. We were meant to be together. This is a forever thing. You said I was the one. Why would you need him? That is Jesus to you when you do this. I hope you understand what it looks like to the king when you're like, Jesus paid it all. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I also want this. And Jesus says, I paid it all. So we have to be mindful that we don't add things to this conversation because of the way in which it can lead us to destruction. Now, here's the deal. It never changes, amen? The gospel never changes. And everything that you add is a distortion to the gospel. Everything that you've practiced, that you try, that you think is okay to add, it's not okay to add. The recipe doesn't need any changes, amen? I would say it like this. Keep it simple, stupid. It's right here. Keep it simple. Everything you need for life is in this book. Why? Because we have a very plain and simple truth. It's right here. Everything you need is right here and it's perfect and it's orderly. When the apostle writes this to the church, he says it like this. It's super simple. There was one gospel preached to you. It's the only gospel you need. And so I can make it clear to you, he says, even if another one of us comes to preach you a gospel that's contrary, even if an angel comes down from heaven and preaches a gospel that violates the gospel of Jesus Christ that you heard, he says that contrary gospel is a curse. And what he's doing in this moment is trying to elevate the gospel above the gospel presenter. Hear this, this is vital. In the modern church, we are mostly attracted to our pastor. We are attracted to our leader. People love their church, why? We've got this pastor, right? And they describe him or her, whatever their tradition may be. And the problem with this is when our faith is predicated upon a charismatic identity, we are in deep trouble. Do you know why? Because pastors are humans. And so when you deify a man on a platform, they can say anything they want and you think it's good doctrine. Amen. So Paul writes and he says, I don't care if an angel himself comes down and pollutes this word. If what he says is contrary to the gospel, it's a curse. And there's two kinds of contrary curses that come into the church today. There's curses from within when people in this church or preachers all over the church say things like it's Jesus and, right? You need to do this and, trust God and, and they'll add any number of things. That's the way that the gospel gets perverted in churches when it becomes a church that believes in purpose. Oh, Jesus is all about your salvation and who you become. Wow. Amen. That one's hard because you really want to believe that one. That is an insane invasion and contradiction to the gospel. Hear me. Jesus does not care who you want to become. Ready? Jesus came to make you like him. What he cares about is that you are created into the image and likeness of Jesus. 
This is not Jesus joining you on your mission. Come on. God, I'm preaching harder than y'all clapping. We love this purpose-driven gospel because it's so easily attached to the world's values, especially in the West. How can I use this to get what I want? How about this? The gospel is this. How can I let go of what I want so I can have all of this? That's the gospel. And so you get to places where it sounds good, the books are written well, and the leadership symposiums are fantastic, and everything is Jesus and. Jesus and wealth, Jesus and prosperity, Jesus and culture, Jesus and this, and those are contradictions and they're curses. That's why people who follow some of those traditions are Jesus said there will come a day when they will say, Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name? And he will say, depart from me for I know you not. Any addition to the gospel is a curse. Second way there's contradictions and curses to this gospel is when those things come from the outside. So where contradictions and curses come from within the church, which is you should add a little spice to your Jesus, add a little money, add a little purpose, add a little success. The contradictions from outside the church are you should subtract a little bit. They come to your church and they're like, dude, it does not take all of that. Why are you guys jumping around? This is insane. Why do you read your Bible every day? Are you kidding me? That book was written, you know the argument, thousands of years ago. It's been translated so many times, it doesn't even make any sense. Contradictions and curses from the outside, unlike what's in the church that says add, they say subtract. I don't mind if you go to church, just don't come around here with that Jesus stuff. I don't mind if you pray, just don't pray over me. I don't mind if you listen to gospel, but seriously, stop singing so loud around me. Contradictions and curses from the outside say, it don't take all that. And I want to tell you today, (laughs) ready? It takes all of that. Truly walking in the faith that God has given us in the anointing that the power of the Holy Spirit provides for us allows us to participate in all of that. See, it's not that we practice a religion because we have to. We get to practice spiritual disciplines because we get to. I like to pray. You know what else? I like to pray for people who don't like when I pray for them. Come on, somebody. I like to listen to gospel music loud. I like to sing it loud. I like to pull up next to people I know that don't like me, and I just got it cranked. I got it cranked. I'm telling you, I got, the devil thought he had me, thought that my life was over. I mean, I'm in this thing. I don't mind if my faith offends you. And when the world says they don't take all that, I said, baby, but it's going to get all that because he's my God and he's worthy of everything that I have. That's what faith looks like. Don't you let somebody from inside the church say you got to add something to Jesus. And don't you dare let somebody who doesn't know Jesus tell you how to love Jesus. You say, I'm going to love him and worship him and praise him anyway. I want, whether you like it or not, one day you're going to be convinced because you're going to need him and you know I know him. Amen. All right. I feel it today. Sometimes Chanel says, you don't have to yell the whole time. And, And I say, I know. And then I don't know what happens. Here's the deal. Contradictions to the gospel. Paul calls them plainly, flatly, truly, they're curses. 
distortions to the gospel, the things you add in, Paul calls them plainly, flatly, death. And here's why. In verse 10, after having offended his whole church, Paul says this. <laughs> so now am I seeking to approve for approval from men? He says, if you thought I was, I wouldn't still be a servant of Christ. He says, I came here today to ruffle your feathers. And I hope that I did. Because in doing so, I demonstrated to both you and I that I did not come here to teach you a gospel that made you feel good. I came here to teach you a gospel that made you good in spite of your bad. And he says this because the power of the gospel, the truth of the gospel reflects the power and the truth of our God. What he is preaching, he is believing because it has come from the only true and living God. This is not to be debated. Our faith is the faith. I hate to break it to you. There is no question. Ask any archaeologist, historiographer, or the people in charge with studying ancient documents. Our faith has more documentation than any faith by a mile. There are over 24,000 manuscripts from the first century that document in handwritten notes the death and resurrection of Jesus. That documentation is more than any documentation of any historical document from history ever. The resurrection of Jesus is the most proved event in history. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Did you know why you don't know that? Because the people that know it and don't like it don't want you to know it. You should know that our God won already. And when Paul writes to this church, he says, I didn't come here to make friends with you. I came here to save you. Here's why. The gospel doesn't need to be approved by men. Pastor, you guys can come up. This gospel that we read, it doesn't need to be approved by you or, 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 or even make you feel good. The gospel that we practice, believe, and study is meant to be ascribed to you. This gospel is not up for your debate or your inspection. It is up for you to have it tattooed on your heart. It is not a game to be played. It is a map to be followed. Amen? It is a covenant between a God who loves you in spite of you. And he writes this, because this gospel is not to be approved, the gospel stands alone because our God stands alone. There is not a council of gods. Amen? And if you hear somebody say all roads point to the same God, guess what? And in fact, they're actually kind of telling the truth. They just didn't realize it was our God and some of those roads are a little bit rougher than they had hoped for. Amen? They say all roads lead to God and you're like, yeah, ooh, you don't want to show up on that backside of the town. Our God stands alone. There are no other gods, and so our word stands alone. Our God is absolute. What he says is true, plain and simple. And it's so true that if he says it right, now everything changes. I used to tell the story to my kids and tease them all the time. I said, can you imagine if right now God walked into the room and said, from now on, all elephants are purple? What would happen? And the boys were like, every elephant would turn purple right now. 
And I'm like, wouldn't that be awesome? And they were like, yes, that's the way that it works. When God speaks, everything changes. So when you've been repeating the words to yourself that I'm unworthy and I'm unloved and I'm unlikely and no one cares and I'm all done and this is the end and God walks into the room and he says, I love you. Everything changes. Everything changes. No word that you spoke has any relevance anymore. It's all done. You lose. He wins. When he speaks, it's true. Our God is absolute. So Paul says, I didn't come here to make you friends. I came here today to tell you about the standalone God, the absolute God, the unchanging, immutable, steadfast, faithful, refuge and strong tower who is ours, whose grace and mercy follows us all the days of our life, whose goodness and favor rests upon us, whose power and strength is made available to us, whose courage is something we can take right from his hands, whose peace and joy and love and hope and mercy are always in the room when we're in the room. That's the message he came to preach to you. And he said this today, like I'll say it to you today, our God is sufficient. There is nothing you need. Hear me, church. There's nothing you need that he has not already provided for you. It's done. That's why you don't have to practice anything but this thing, because what you need, he has, and it's ready for you today. Amen? So here's my challenge to you today, church. There is no different gospel. There's not variations on this. It's one word for one body, from one son, through one spirit, spoken by one father. And it changes souls one at a time. And in this room today, if you've been big mad Offended and frustrated that I came after something that you like. I'm challenging you to remove it from your life. Let it go, throw it away, stop it. You said, but I I put my foot in that vision board. Let him give you a brand new vision of who he is and what he has for you. And I want you to do that this week. And if you'd be so kind that if you let go a few of those things this week, would you send me a message? Would you send me a message on social media? You're watching this clip online, would you send me a message wherever you are, no matter what? Send us a message through our app, send us an email, info at Denver Beacon, hit me up in the DMs and tell me what you let go so I can join you in prayer that when you let go of fleeting and earthly temporal things that have no power, that you would be able to reach up with that open hand to the eternal, unchanging, sufficient and absolute God and receive from him everything you need, amen? Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text BEACON to 97000. Once again, text BEACON to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!